welcome to the Inadvertent Whistle Podcast. This is Scott Bach Hansen, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend Adam Brick. And Adam, let's just kind of get right into it. We're pretty excited about this time of year. We're just finishing up the first week of the regular season, and we're going to have some tip-off tournaments. We get some uh, matchups that we normally don't get a chance to see. I know Wakefield played Woodson, South Lakes played Marshall, Centerville played West Potomac. We have some tip-off tournaments uh, going on where we get to see some teams that we normally don't get a chance to see. So it's, it's really a, a fun time of the year. You know, what, what's your take on this time of the year? Oh, I agree with you, Scott. It is a fun time of year. We're getting back on the court. Um, the teams are getting into it. Um, they're a little rusty. We're a little rusty. Um, they get better as the season goes on. We stay rusty, or at least I do. Um, but I, I, I do like the, the tip-off tournaments. I actually remember a few years ago getting the opportunity at Hayfield High School in their tip-off tournament when Montrose Christian uh, was playing. And uh, Coach Stu Vetter was there. And Stu's obviously a, a hell of a coach. And I remember during the uh, during, right prior to introductions of the game, they were playing Hayfield. And um, they were presenting a an award or a... Um, to the sponsor of the tournament, it was the Alexandria Cab Company was sponsoring the tournament. And so they were giving the owner of the company a, uh, some memorabilia at the at center court. And I got right up next to Stu Vetter from, from Montrose. And I said, Stu, this is a really good thing. They can get a tournament like this sponsored, huh? And he goes, yeah. He goes, it's great. I said, you know what it means though, right? He goes, what? I said, when I throw your butt out of the game, they give you a free ride home in one of their taxi cabs. <laughs> Adam, that... Everybody enjoys hearing stories like that. But I, I think one of the things that I would like to make sure we get across is for you young officials that are out there, if you're looking for a, a way to get out and watch some veteran officials work some of these tournament games, it's a great weekend to get out, you know, between the Sleepy and South Lakes and Woodson. You're going to be able to get in, uh, in front of some good crews, listen to the pregames, watch how they work. And it would be a, a great time uh, to do that. Now, with that said, you know, pregame uh, in the locker room can be somewhat challenging for some, you know, depending on if somebody's working a doubleheader and gets in there late. But I think this is an area that Adam and I have talked about before, and Adam, you can chime in, but I, I think that we struggle as officials at the beginning of the year with doing our pregames and just making sure we're focusing on the right things. So you want to talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, the well, one of the things is rule changes are important. But let's not have that be the dominant focus of a pregame, particularly when we have a short period of time. Uh, my recommendation would be to focus on the three C's. And for me, that's communication, consistency, and common sense. And I'm not going to break uh, all of those down uh, today. But we do need to make sure we get into a discussion about the flow of the game, about being consistent on both ends of the floor, and amongst, if it's a varsity game, three officials. Obviously, if it's a non-varsity game, it's amongst two officials. But the coaches, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for that consistency. They're looking for us to communicate. And they're really looking for us to bring some common sense to the court. And we should not check that at the locker room door when we leave to go out uh, for the warm-ups prior to the game. One thing we have forgotten to mention today so far is that we have a new email address. It is brickandbach at gmail.com. That's brick, B-R-I-C-K, and the word A-N-D, bach, B-A-C-H, at gmail.com. Uh, some of you already have that because we actually have another email in our inbox, Scott. Nice. 
And it's from John Costello, the head boys varsity coach at Broad Run High School. He wanted to know, was that little foot stomping he heard in the background on our prior segment, was that Jeff Hawes here in the studio? And the answer, uh, Johnny, is no, that was my dog, Oreo, walking around our studio. So, um, yeah, Jeff and Oreo, they're kindred spirits. <laughs> but talking about pets, let's talk about our pet peeves for, for today. Um, mine really focuses on some game management here, and it's don't let the table screw up your game. Um, we are responsible as officials for making sure uh, we don't have correctable errors. And I know I have to make sure we don't have them because I don't know how to fix them. If you tell me you know that rule and your name isn't Gil Mack, Mike Preston, or Scott Bach Hansen, I call bullcrap. And maybe Andy Shulman. Uh, the rest of us don't know the rule. Uh, I know I don't. And so what do we need to do? Make sure we're shooting free throws at the right time. Make sure we're not shooting them when we're not supposed to. Uh, not counting baskets or not counting baskets. Having the right kid at the line. Um, and uh, what's the other? Is there another one, Scott? Yeah, if you have, uh, you, you're talking about for correctable error. Yeah. Rule 210, yeah. Shooting at the wrong basket, uh, wrong player, inadvertent, or uh, uh Counting or canceling a score is the last one. Yeah, that's what I, I had them. I didn't know it was rule 210, though. Um, <laughs> so it's incumbent upon us to know when we're getting into the bonus. Uh, the arrow. We have a 50-50 shot of getting it right. Um, I know some people keep it on their wrists, and some people keep it moving a whistle around your pocket. Um, I think it's incumbent upon us to be able to remember, remember that. Um, so it, it's, it's our responsibility to make sure that the clock stops when it's supposed to and when it starts when it's supposed to. And so that means getting into the habit, and it, this is a good time to do it early in the season, of glancing at the clock every time a whistle blows or every time the ball gets chopped in. And that's not just for the calling official or the administering official. As a crew, we're responsible to make sure that that stuff is straight. Because if it's not, we look bad as a crew. Game's hard enough to referee. And so um, stay on top of the table, talk with the table, communicate with the table. I don't know, Scott, have you had some issues uh, with tables in the past that you want to talk about? You know, as you were telling this uh, or saying that, I, I do remember a story, and uh, I'm going to have to put on my memory cap here. But many years ago, Dave McAndrew was a student at Gonzaga High School, and he was the official book for Gonzaga. So it shows you how old I am, but... I was refereeing a game between Gonzaga and Carroll High School at Carroll High School. Dave was the official book, or was the book for Gonzaga. The official book for Carroll was a young lady who had a uh, a distraction problem, we'll call it. Meaning that every time we tried to report a foul, we looked over and she was talking to her friend behind her. Um, she she wasn't even looking at us. Sometimes she, she was out of her chair. And it got to a point where it got so bad, I just said, you know, we got to fix this. So I went over to the head coach, Carol Holmes, and I said, Carol, listen. If she can't manage this, then I'm going to make the Gonzaga book the home book. And he said, well, you can't do that. And I said, yes, I can. And if it happens again, I'm going to do it. So either you fix it or I will. And so he, he uh, said that he was going to take care of it. And sure enough, next time uh, down the court, we had a foul. And my partner went to report the foul. And I looked over, and she wasn't even at the table. She was up in the stands talking to one of her friends about boys or whatever else. And I had enough. I walked over. I got both coaches together. I said, 
She's fired as the official book. He's the official book now to Dave McAndrew. And uh, needless to say, it's it's not not the only time I've had an issue with the the table, but it's it, it is a funny story, and Dave can certainly attest to it. So we let me get this straight: we have you to blame for why Dave McAndrew got into officiating. It sounds like. Yes, and I'm, I'd like to apologize to all the coaches out there. And so let me let, make sure that everybody knows that this portion of our broadcast was sponsored by our first sponsor, Phantom Fireworks. Don't let anything blow up your game. Well, Adam, we have our first interview, our first guest, which is uh, it, it's quite an honor for us to have. Uh, such a great individual, Cecil Hurst, with us today. So why don't you uh, introduce Cecil to our audience? It's great to have Cecil with us today. And clearly he's our first guest for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is because he still is our signer in Cardinal basketball, and Scott and I want to still get games. So That's right. Cecil, Cecil I'm, still, I'm still I'm available on Tuesday. Okay. <laughs> and uh, but more importantly, Cecil has done a tremendous job for not only Cardinal basketball, but for basketball around the Commonwealth of Virginia and was recognized as such. He is a, a member of the Virginia High School League Hall of Fame. Um, Cecil's been officiating or officiated for well over 30 years uh, in Cardinal and did some small college basketball over his time and has been the commissioner of Cardinal for two different stints totaling about 30 or so years um, and has just done a tremendous job with the relationships that we have with our schools in Northern Virginia and was instrumental in us. And Cecil, you'll hopefully know this better than I, even though I was there with you, but Cecil was instrumental in us going to three-person officiating probably close to 15 years ago, maybe, Cecil? Uh, probably longer than that. It's been over 20 yeah, so it's been a long time, and, and um, he was very supportive in that. And uh, just, has, has, like I said, has done a terrific job with Cardinal and has worked with so many different people on our board of directors. And as many of you know, boards of directors can be, you know, they can, we can be pitted. Uh, for those of you that don't know what that is, I think it's pains in the rear end. Um, and I should know because I was part of that board that was a pain in his rear end. But anyway, Cecil, on our last show, uh, Scott and I talked, about what officials need to do and should do as they begin a season. We gave kind of gave our tips. What suggestions do you have for officials as we begin a new high school basketball season? Well, it becomes very difficult for me to understand why if we're going to be involved as officials in any sport, regardless of what it is, that we don't prepare ourselves in, in the eyes of everyone, not only ourselves, but in the eyes of everyone, like the board members and the board in general. For example, you know, we know that there's tests coming up. We know there's registration that needs to be done. All these things that they need to do just to be eligible, they seem to drag their feet. They, you, know, you have to remind them over and over. Uh, I've sent out numerous emails, and it's amazing to me how many people will come back and say, oh, thanks for reminding me. Like, they don't know the basketball season starting. Uh, getting in shape, of course, is one of our major things that we need to think about when we get ready for the season. And there is some reluctance on some officials' parts to participate fully in a scrimmage routine to prepare themselves not only physically but mentally for the coming season. Uh, we all have to start thinking whatever sport we're going to officiate, in our case, is basketball, 
I think we have to mentally prepare, and mental preparation comes with being on the court, blowing a whistle, and, and sorting out our, our situations as they arise, and instead of being surprised, we can't just start the season. So it, it kind of, all those things, just uh, sometimes it amazes me we, we're not going to do those to be prepared for the season. And I guess I'll, and I'll make the plug for you because I'm, I'm sure you'd like for me to make this plug. Keep your closeouts up to date. Absolutely, it's it's it's, it's fundamental, and you know, and, and like you say, they don't do it in a timely manner. That's one of the premises that seems to prevail in, in our our organization, at least, is that officials think that we make assignments the night before a game. Um, you know, we start we have to start weeks in advance to to find out who is available, who's going to officiate, uh, who's done the clinics, done the tests, and all those things, and start making assignments at least two weeks before that opening night. Uh, we can't wait till two or three days before opening night to, to put out a schedule. We have to put it out in advance. Yeah, those are, those are great tips. Uh, a lot of people don't worry about the, the aspect of getting their calendars ready, so that's that's really important, especially if you want to be assigned games. So, um, so let me ask you, let me go a different direction here. You, you, Adam mentioned that you are a VHSL Hall of Fame member. You've officiated for 30-plus years. You've been the commissioner for quite some time now. What are the biggest changes you've seen in officials or for officials over your time as an official and as commissioner? Well, I guess one I maybe it's just a pet peeve, but I think there's a lack of patience for officials to learn the actual art of officiating. It's not just a matter of going out and blowing a whistle you know, a lot of people can go out and blow the whistle, but can we can we get what's important in a game by being prepared? You know, um, having gone through the fire, having having been accosted by coaches, and believe you me, there are coaches out there that they're not just fresh out of coaches 101. They've been doing this for a long time, and they are very artful in the way they approach us, in the way we have to deal with them, and Officials need to learn those types of things. Uh, we have some awfully good young officials, and the tools that they have today are far in excess of the tools we had in the old, you know, the dark ages when I was coming along. But that still doesn't prepare them for those awkward moments when a coach is just livid on the sidelines. And yes, they may be wrong, but they may be right. So rather than reach for a whistle and call a technical foul, I think we need to be prepared by going through some of those. And I don't think officials are, are, are they're reluctant or at least impatient to do that. They want to start out today. Tomorrow they want to know when they get the first varsity game. When they get their first varsity game, they want to know when they get their first postseason, and there's just not a patience there. Um I guess the other big pet peeve I have with officials that, that's changed is in my day, uh, in some of you guys' days, uh, loyalty meant a lot. Uh, I've been in the same board, uh, even when there was a split on our board many, many years ago. I stayed with the original board that I started with, and finally I was pushed into the other board by those people that I trusted and felt confident with. They pushed me on the board because they saw I had a future, but... I, I reluctantly did that, but because I'm loyal, and, and loyalty's not there these days. There's so many people pulling at them in other organizations. Hey, you're not getting what you want there. Let's 
over here. So I think those two things are, are major changes that I'm seeing and trying to adjust my thinking to, and it's, it's somewhat difficult, but I'm getting there. Hey, Cecil, you, you mentioned the Dark Ages, and I kind of came up in the Dark Ages not too long after you did, um, but learned uh, a ton from folks like you and the Gene Harrisons of the world and Maury Sharons and Mickey McDade, and the list goes on and on. Can you talk about how you learned back then without all of the modern technology? What, was, what were the things that you did and that helped you get to where you got to in your officiating career? Well, I, I honestly believe that there there's there are people who and I you know uh, like somebody like yourself, Adam, and uh, and like Steve Gordon is probably the, the most prominent person that I can think of that I, I felt like he just had it. There was never any question, even when I was starting out, because Steve and I started pretty close to the same time, and. I, there were just certain people that I could look at and say, they've got it. They've got the way, they've got that silky, smooth way of talking with coaches. Their game, they just they just know the game so well. And in Steve's case, he played the game at the, the college, collegiate level. I played. I played a little bit of high school basketball. wasn't very good, but I played. Uh, I had a feel for the game a little bit. But mostly, I, I, I was very dedicated which is, I guess, another, another thing that I, I see a difference in officials. I was dedicated to the art of learning to officiate. When someone told me something, uh, you know, I paid attention to it, even when it made me mad. And I just one example is one time somebody said, Cecil, you blow the whistle everything there is in the world, even three seconds. He said, you know, all you're doing is interrupting the flow of the game. Well, I got mad about it, went home, I thought about it, I said, okay, that's, that, that's what I'm doing that's not – you know, conducive to my advancement, and guess what? I'm going to change. And the other thing is I would stay after every game I had, every non-varsity game, I would watch the varsity officials, and I would sit there and I'd say, wow, I don't like what he did there, and I wouldn't do that. And when I saw something I liked, I would say, hey, that's cool. I'm going to try that. And so I molded myself basically by looking at people I admired who I felt knew the game, uh, I kind of made, I kind of tailored myself by putting together a, a whole conglomerate of, of what other officials did that were successful. That's 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 good stuff. I can't tell you how important it is for officials to learn from each other. And, and you brought up a very good point about staying after and watching varsity officials, and that that still to me is one of the best opportunities for for learning so that i'm glad that you mentioned that because a lot of the young officials need to hear that they're they're not sticking around uh as maybe we did back in the day um yep. hey cecil changing gears real quick from uh from your time on the court who are some of the best players you officiated uh wow um well i i can tell you guys that i did officiate and guys i saw you know there's there's a there's a real good thing when you're a commissioner. You you get to make some awfully cho- choosy choice assignments. Uh, so when I would make some of those, I would like to go watch those to see the outcomes because number one, I wanted to see what the officials did, how they handled it. Uh, was I proud or not? Or you know, should I should I always be considering them for other games? But I did get uh, several honors. I got uh, I don't know if how many people remember Billy King out at Parkview. 
Um, he went on, I believe he was in the NBA, and I, I believe he was like a general manager of the New Jersey Nets or something like that. Uh, I believe you're correct. Is it the Nets or the Sixers organization, or both? Uh, yeah, yeah. One of, yeah. And then there was Grant Hill, of course, with South Lakes, who well, I'm sure everybody knows. Um, and Tommy Amaker was at W.T. Woodson, uh, did his games. Um, I had the pleasure of doing a regional tournament game with Alonzo Mourning. I'm not sure. I think he was out of Roanoke. But uh, I remember Alonzo is it was a terrible court we were playing. It was a tile court in Charlottesville, and he was just awesome. And they were beating this team like a drum. It was a timeout. He stand under the basket. And I said, not much competition. And he said, they can't play with us. And the deep voice that he had, and I just that stuck in my mind forever. Alan Iverson. Alan Iverson. Uh, I didn't work his game, but I did make an assignment down at a regional game down at the, uh, uh, the I can't remember the name of the facility back there in Richmond, but uh, I did go down to watch that game, and, and the, the guys threw the ball up, and when the, the jumper tapped it to one player who was about the division line, Iverson cut to the basket, he lobbed him the pass, and he dunked it, and that's how they started the game, and it was just awesome to watch this guy. And I went down in a snowstorm to watch the game. It was awesome to see that. But there's been a lot of other guys that weren't quite as successful. But, uh, you know, the other thing is you get to work for coaches like, you know, uh, um, you know, like uh, Jim Warren at uh, West Springfield. And there's people like that that uh, they've, they've gone on, but they are legends in their time. Those are some, Those are some great players. You could put a dream team of just of those players together. Um, and have any one of the coaches uh, coach those guys. Yeah, Don McCool was just, you know, Don McCool was just the greatest, and he was in several schools, and I had the pleasure of working him many times. So, Cecil, as a commissioner, I would imagine that one of the things you don't want is your phone to ring uh, on the late evening of a, particularly a Tuesday or Friday night, because that usually, nobody's calling you to tell you what a great game the three officials did, I would assume. Um, So, what, what, what are some of the best attributes that an official can have from your eyes as a commissioner to keep your phone from ringing on a Tuesday and Friday night? Oh, hmm. uh, well, well, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard to not have it ring because coaches and officials don't don't think alike. Um, commissioners don't agree with with coaches and. You know, it, it's it's not that we don't like each other. It's just that our perspective of what what goes on in a game is different. Uh, we're tainted towards the side of the officials, and of course, they're tainted towards the side of not only them but their players, which I, I respect and I think they should be as well as we should be the way we are. Um, but I I think dedication to what we're doing as an art form and an understanding that the relationship between officials and schools is a is a different avenue that sometimes we don't think about, don't take to heart, don't appreciate. Uh, for us, and no matter what sport we're in, especially at the high school level and probably at the college level, it's an application. This is not this it's not a job. We have other jobs that pay the rent and, and feed us and all those sorts of things, but 
This is an advocation for officials, but it's not an advocation for schools. Schools, are, you know, that's a business for them. They're in the business of providing an avenue for students to be athletic and to, to participate in athletics. So what we do as individual officials uh, reflects on our organization, and it, it acts, it, it really affects the players, the coaches, the fans, and the schools. And it, we want it to be not an adverse effect. We want it to be a good effect. And I, I don't, I don't think there's anything we can do other than be prepared, be dedicated, do the best job we can. And we're not always going to be on our top form, and we're not always going to be praised for that. But when we get that praise, we should we should be very proud of ourselves that we've done a good job. And I like for every official to come away every night saying, hey, I gave it my best. It wasn't a great game. I wasn't great, or whatever it is, but let's come away saying that we gave 110% towards that game. You know, uh, Cecil, when you get to the end of the year, there's always the playoff scheduling. And a lot of times people aren't aware of everything that goes into the commissioner purview. There's lots of different pieces to the puzzle that you have to put together to be able to, to try to put the best crew on the court for the for the playoff game. So not getting into the nuts and bolts of it, but can you give us just a, a basic overview of, of what the commissioner has to go through when scheduling the playoffs and, and maybe give some people some, some insight behind the curtain? Well, of course, there's, there's some things that, that are, are set in concrete. For example, our rating system, uh, the board of directors has always directed that we, since we have this tool, that it's, a, it's you know, probably the, we start there. That's where we start with people that are ranked high enough that, that uh, you know, they have performed so well during the season that their ranking is showing that they deserve to be working in the postseason. So that that is the first place we look. Um, then we start to break it down to things like, um, you know, when when did the official last have that team? Because uh, you know we kind of we don't want to wear out our welcome by seeing the same coaches, the same teams, the same players, you know, seven or eight times a year. So I try to restrict that to three or four times. Sometimes in the postseason you have to overlook that because of you know of where you would like to have officials working. So that's a consideration. Of course, you have to look and see if officials can blackball a particular school. It's in the postseason. Um, uh, yeah, I had a look at. I, I look at. Um, I look at the matchups. Uh, you know, is is it uh, two teams that are bitter rivalries? Uh, they've, they've had some issues. Uh, those sorts of things, and of course, the, the level of the competition. Um, uh, um, and I, I start, and this is a basic principle. I start with, with the finals, like for the districts. I will, I will figure out who I want to put in the districts finals for each district that I'm, I'm, I'm serving, and say work backwards. And the reason is, I can't have an official work in the opening round at X school and then have them work in the finals. So if I want an official to work in a final, I have to work backwards to keep them away from that particular school. And if this entails me trying to figure out, generally number one, number two seed teams are going to be the one that's going to be there. You're going to have upsets. That happens. But 
you got to try to figure it out, and, and you got to have a contingency plan. You have to figure out, okay, if Joe Blow can't work X team because there was an upset during the play in the opening round or the second round, then we have to change Joe Blow and put him in another district and, and move that person. So, you know, and another factor is I, I don't like to have the same officials work the same district final or regional final that I had in the last year. I like to try to move around so that everybody is, you know, those who are going to work finals are working different different locations, different schools. Um, also, I, I look at crews, I, I, the mix of the crews. Um, and unfortunately, for example, if I've got an official that I know is not real strong on rules, then I, I try to make sure that there's a Mike Preston or a Scott Bockhanson or a, a person who I know knows the rules. I noticed you didn't put me in that category. <laughs> well, you know the rules. And, and, and the nice thing about you, Adam, is, is one of the things I like, like about people who know the rules is they know how to apply them. Uh, they're not black and white, uh, even though they're written in black and white, but they're, there are times when, you know, it's not not by the letter of the law, I would say, uh, that needs to be done. So, you know, i got to look at those matchups. Um, you know, you, gotta, you also got to look at the well, people – well, and I guess it's kind of important to have an, an assigner or a commissioner that's been around for a while that knows the officials because you know that if you put Joe Blow with Smuckadola, they don't care too much for each other. They they just you know they haven't blackballed each other, but they just don't they don't mesh well. Their game isn't the same, uh, so you have to try to match those up because postseason is the most important time of the season. Somebody takes the uniforms and puts them in the locker and forgets about it until next year. So it's an extremely important time for us. And, and whatever I can do to make that go smoothly, I try to put that into my thinking when I'm doing postseason assignments. Um, and, of course, knowing the rules is very important, as we mentioned. I, I, and I, also, I, I, you know, I, I'm, very, I'm very big, have been for a long time on – getting our less experienced officials that I think are ready, get them into the mix. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you can't have – to have your board grow, you have to have officials, new officials. And one of the things I've been very proud of over the last 10 or 15 years is that there's been a wide number of, of new officials working in postseason up in the higher levels, you know, the regional finals and, and the sending to the uh, – to the state, it's, I get a lot, great deal of pressure. Out of pleasure out of saying, "Well, this is the, this person's first regional tournament final. This is this person's first state game." I think that, to me, that it's a very pleasurable feeling to know that I am promoting people that have worked hard and have been ranked high and have done their job, and, and you know, just just been an asset to this board. Uh, it's it's a nice feeling to be able to get those people to. And I'm, I'm sure they. Uh, they may not appreciate me doing that, but I think they appreciate the fact that they get there, and, and I think it's an honor for them. Well, Cecil, I think um, the amount of time you just spent with us has been terrific. Um, I hope everybody listening, and it's probably up to six now that hopefully your lovely bride, Joanne, is now a listener, so we're hopefully <laughs> up to six people. But the, there's a reason why you're in the Virginia High School League Hall of Fame, and everybody just heard those reasons because this isn't just – um, a task for you. This is a, a labor of love, something that you 
been involved with for 40 plus years, both as an official and more as a commissioner, but more than a commissioner. I mean, you, you can hear in your um, in your answers to our questions just the level of thought and work that goes into what people would just say assignments, and it's more than just assignments. You really are a caretaker of the game. Uh, and I know from a personal perspective, um, you've done a lot for me over the years, so I want to thank you from a personal perspective, but more importantly for the not only just the game of basketball, but for our podcast, Inadvertent Whistle, having you as our first guest uh, is it, really something special uh, for Scott and me. Well, thank you, guys. I, I, I've considered an honor to be the first one, so thank you very much. It's very nice. Okay, so thanks again for joining us, and and for all those young officials out there, you know, listen to this uh, interview a couple of times because there's a lot of great input, a lot of detail, and a lot of information that will help you uh, grow as an official. So, again, we want to thank Cecil Hurst for joining us, VHSL Hall of Famer, Commissioner of Cardinal Basketball Officials Association. Cecil, thank you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Adam, it's it's always great to have Cecil, especially as our first guest here on the Inadvertent Whistle podcast. And uh, by the way, if you have any other uh, ideas of guests that you'd like to hear from, don't forget to email us at brickandbach at gmail.com. So, Adam, some uh, some great info there from Cecil. But now that he's offline, maybe you can share some stories with us that you might be able to to have since he's not here to protect himself. There's never a shortage of Cecil stories, so I will try to reach into the bag and and pull out one or two that um, we can that we can talk about here in, in public. Um, one, the first one that comes to mind uh, happened goes back to when Mike Flugrath was still coaching at Woodson High School, and Woodson was playing at Chantilly, and the crew for the varsity game was Bernie Myers, who many of you know. Uh, Larry McDurphy, who probably most of you know, and me. And Larry was working the boys' JV game with Rogers Harrison, who most of our officials know as well. And so I was getting out there to to watch the JV game. And just as I'm getting ready to pull into Chantilly High School, my cell phone rings. And this was early in the days of cell phones. You didn't have everybody's cell phone number. We were all scared to use our cell phones because everything was by the minute. There were no unlimited packages. There was no nothing. And so every every call you made, you paid by the minute. So my phone rings and it's Bernie. And it starts like this. And those of you that know Bernie knows how every conversation starts like this. Hey, baby, I don't think I'm going to make it. He was, uh, he was having the ill effects of whatever he had eaten the night before and was not going to make the game. And I tried to call Cecil at his house. So did Bernie, couldn't reach him. I didn't have Cecil's cell phone number uh, at the time. I think it was a a state-guarded secret. And so I figured, hey, you know what? It's me and McDurphy. Um, I'm going to get there early enough where we can work some three-man in the JV game to get Rodgers up to speed. We got two really good coaches in in Jim Smith and Mike Flugrath. We got this under control. So I, I get to the game. It's halftime of the JV game or maybe a little bit before I get changed. We go out, we work the second half of the JV game, three man, all is hunky-dory. We're in the locker room uh, just prior to the varsity game, going through a few things to get ready. And then there's, you can hear the on the locker room door and lo and behold, here is Cecil Hurst dressed in uniform. He had driven up 
from Lake of the Woods to Chantilly High School. And he had left a dinner party for holidays at from his neighbor's house. And I looked at him and he looked at us and I said, well, Cecil, we got Rogers ready to go. I said, what do you want to do? He goes, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, you're the boss. He said, it's your game. I said, it's my game? He said, yep. I said, well, I think Rogers deserves the chance to work. And Cecil didn't say another word, turned around, left, and drove all the way back to Lake of the Woods. So one, one thing is, I don't know how I still get games because I sent the commissioner home from a game. So I'm not sure how many people have ever done that, but I was happy to do that to Cecil Hurst. You know, Adam, you're probably the only guy in the association that could ever get away with that. So kudos to you for having not only the balls to do it, but I think it was the right decision. You know, you had gotten Rogers ready for it. So um, I know Cecil probably still is pissed at you uh, for that. And so is his wife because I sent him home early that night and she thought she had the night off from Cecil. <laughs> so, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's wrap this up this week. You know, episode two, we had, some, uh, we had some fun stuff. We talked about, you know, the ending of the first week, some uh, tournaments we had. Uh, pet peeve about you know just how we handle uh, things at the table and not getting our game uh, screwed up. Uh, we had a great interview with Cecil, and again, I think for officials that had a chance to listen to that, um, you got some some look behind the curtain and get an idea of of the challenges uh, that a uh, commissioner would have. Um, and obviously, a great story from Adam to end. But you know, I think uh, the next time you're going to hear from us, we'll probably be back in the next uh, you know week and a half or so uh, to two weeks. We'll get uh, some information about holiday tournaments and talk about some of our favorite ones around the area. Uh, we'll have an interview with Mike Preston. I've asked him if we could get together and talk about some of the rule differences between the MAC and the IAC. The MAC and the IAC use a shot clock and they use the college uh, box as well as throw-in spots. So we'll get him to provide us some clarification and obviously some uh, more favorite stories. But uh let me clean up one more thing. If you have an email uh, that you want to send to us, it's brickandbach at gmail. So B-R-I-C-K-A-N-D gmail.com. All right. And also our Twitter page, you can always visit us at the Inadvertent Whistle Podcast Twitter page, which is I-N- at, it's the at sign, I-N-V underscore whistle. Uh, and pretty soon we'll have a Facebook page coming up as well. And if you have any other ideas of things that you'd like for us to talk about, we'd be glad to hear from you. So, Adam, anything else you want to close with? Everybody have good games as you roll into weeks two and three. And, again, thanks to our sponsor, Phantom Fireworks. Do everything you can to make sure your game doesn't blow up in your face. Have a great week, everybody. Need you the most. So.